world, I'm Eric Dye. I'm Jeremy Smith. And I'm Phil Schneider. And you're listening to Church Mag Podcast number 162. So you'll both find a good communication style and good boundaries, and then you'll get at a good place where you can say, you know what, that is a great idea. So when you're talking with friends, when you're talking with your pastor, you need to do this. You need to look it up. You need to get the facts all on your own so you know, and you can engage others about what the facts are. And when enough people start seeing you do that, they'll start doing it themselves. No one's an expert. Everyone has their own opinion, and all opinions are valid. This week's podcast is brought to you by Jeremy's Church Tech Devotional Rebuilding. This devotional can be done on your own or with an entire church tech team, week by week, day by day, however you like. This devotional is for church tech, by church tech. Learn more about rebuilding on the Church Mag Press website at churchmag.press. That's churchmag.press. Have you ever heard of a church research team? Is this something your church tech team could develop? Tell us what you think about Phil's idea and send us a comment or question. You can email us directly at podcast at churchmag or use the churchmag podcast hashtag cmagcast and we'll share it on an upcoming episode. Now, let the fun begin. Welcome to another episode of the Church Mag Podcast. Eric Dye here along with Jeremy Smith and Phil Schneider. Uh, Phil recently wrote a blog post talking about church tech teams being the research arm of the church. Phil. Flush this out a little bit more for everybody. Kind of, kind of share with everybody, kind of what you shared in your blog post. So we're in this crazy time period where there are, like, it's like the death of expertise. No one's, no one's an expert. Everyone has their own opinion, and all opinions are valid. And I thought we saw this crescendo, like with the, you know, the um, height of you know post post um, post modernity and uh, relativism and stuff. But it's actually it's escalated way beyond that, and now we have this huge issue with uh quote unquote fake news and if if i don't believe it it's fake news and uh, you know i've I'm, in my social media uh ebook you know coming out later this summer um i had actually a, a, an exchange with a friend on facebook about something they posted that was untrue and they said well who cares if it, even if it's untrue at least it makes a good point and I'm like, no, it's not an Aesop's fable, okay? You can't just post lies and say it makes makes a good point. And so, to that end, I think the churches need help in in shining a light on what is true. Now, I'm not saying churches should necessarily get, get uh, knee-deep in politics, but there's a lot of things going on that aren't true. And sometimes churches are the ones uh, pushing it. I remember when I was a kid, we had this thing. Um, actually, Eric, you grew up in a kind of a charismatic movement, didn't you? A little bit, yeah. 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 Did you guys have opening exercises before Sunday school? Yeah. Jeremy, did you guys have that too in the, in the in Baptist church? No. No. So it was like basically you just get to church at 9 o'clock. And then from 9 to like 9.20 and opening exercises. And there were no jumping jacks. There were no squats, no burpees. Um, but instead, you sat there in the, in the, sun, in the sanctuary pews and the Sunday school superintendent, um, you might sing one song and you'd, you'd honor birthdays and anniversaries. And he gave a little small devotional, which almost always ended up being an email forward he got. Um, I can't remember for sure, but I think one time he shared the story of the girl who went down to spring break and engaged in some some pro- some wild prodigal son style living and met a guy. They drank deeply of love to quote Proverbs, and he gave her a ring a ring box and said, "Don't open it to get back on the plane as you head home." And on the plane, she opens the ring box and there's a little note inside. It says, "Welcome to the world of." being HIV positive. Zing. Yeah, this is a new morning devotional he shared with us. 
<laughs> I'm almost positive that that was one of the ones he shared. If not, it was that kind of caliber story. Okay. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that's, that's crazy. And then I grew up and realized those are all fake. Maybe the story should have been how a Sunday school superintendent got in front of everybody and read a story. And afterwards, later, when he got off the podium, he was given an envelope that he had to read. As soon as he got home, when we got home, he opened it up and it said, that story that you shared at Sunday school wasn't true. Yeah. I mean, craziness. So, like, I kept thinking about, like, we make, the church needs to have somebody who the pastor can go to and say, I want to share this story. Does this make sense? Is this true? Is this accurate? That kind of thing. Because I guarantee you so much of what is said in those kind of moments behind the pulpit are actually either either incorrect or so far out of context, they make no sense. Yeah, I think we have a, a Google divide generationally in the church. There's this... No, well, maybe not divide. Maybe there's different layers of it. You have those that never think to Google it, those that use Google but don't necessarily think of it right away, and those that Google everything. I don't know how many times like I go to say something or I go to share some knowledge to my kids, and one of my daughters especially will say, are you sure about that, Dad? And suddenly I check myself and think, that's a good question. Let's Google it. And about half the time, I'm, I'm way off. Like, I don't even know, like, I'm just spouting off stuff that isn't even true. And it's just a Google, it's just a Google away. But when we grew up as kids, there was no Google. What parents told you, that was facts. That's the end. And so there's a definite shift. So the last thing you want to do is be sharing something from the pulpit or sending out a broadcast email, you know, where they don't use the BCC box. I hate that. Or they're sending out a Facebook post that then somebody else is able to Google quickly to find out whether or not it's true. And I can promise you, by the time you get response from somebody saying that it's not true, lots of other people have already found that out. They just haven't said anything. Or they've shared it. Yeah, yeah. Like, we had a person um, get a spam prayer request. And you know what? I'm going to... Jeremy, what are your your thoughts on this? I'm going to find this. I'm going to read this exactly to to everybody here. What What are your thoughts on this, Jeremy? Um, well, having done youth ministry, the, I will say in defense, I, I don't actually justify it. I'm a hundred percent on your guys' side, but in defense, just to have the argument of it, you take a lot of time to do things. And if you're a solo pastor, if you are a solo youth ministry person, you are expected to do a lot of different things. And in your contracts, you probably have written down, I'm going to spend enough time to come up with a great sermon, yada, yada, yada. And in reality, you were given about an hour to come up with a good sermon. And I think that's as much as this is wonderful, you can barely come up with a Bible verse that's going to be great for your church, let alone more than that. And it takes a while to do a sermon. And for those who are like, oh, I could come up with a sermon in 10 minutes. I'm sure you can. And the next time, how about that one? And the next time, how about that one? And the 300th time, how about that one? And and the I think it's difficult to recognize that process. And you could certainly buy canned versions of sermons and do that. But the amount of time it takes to know what you're going to talk about, how you're going to talk about it, what examples you can fill in that 20 minutes. And 20 minutes is a huge amount of time. And then also verify those facts. Guess what's at the bottom of that list? You need to know what you're going to say before you can verify it. And so I think that's difficult for a pastor to add that to a list. I'm not against it, obviously. Yeah. 
I mean, and well, I'm to be clear, this is not an attack on pastors. This is a, a call for church text to resource pastors who, like you said, are got so much on their plate already. Absolutely. And I think, and you know, what, not, not every church can, you know, some church texts like, oh man, there's no way I've got too many things in my plate. And you know, what, maybe that's maybe that's true. And maybe we need to reevaluate some things and put some priority on this. I can't find the example. I think the person deleted it because they're so embarrassed. But they posted in our in our court, in our church group um, a prayer request, and they said, uh, "Hey, I just got a, um, a message from a friend of mine, um, and a mutual friend of ours, Michael Bass's nephew, is um, having some sort of heart issues. He's being rushed to the hospital. We need we need some prayers." And my brother really quickly responded with a Snopes link and says, "I think this is fake." And they said, "Well, I don't know because." Um, uh, it's pretty specific. The person's name's in the message, and my brother Matthew screenshot the Snopes article where it gives the exact same message with the exact same person's name, Michael Bass. <laughs> and like they had, so someone got a spam prayer request and then just passed it on. And I don't know if my friend got the first one or my friend got like you know third down the line, but that's what was going on. And I've received spam prayer requests in our church email. Generally, those automated email ones are pretty terribly written, so I know they're spam. I just ignore them. Um, or I pray, God, if this person's real and not a robot, bless them. If they are a robot, then may they have viruses. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's those kind of things where Christians are just – I wrote a post about this on my own website you know, years ago about Facebook gullibility because – so many Christians kept reposting that thing about uh, Facebook's become a, p- a public entity or whatever, and uh, they can take control of your profile and all, all your pictures will belong to them unless you post this thing in accordance with the Rome protocol. And I'm like, hey, this is the dumbest sounding thing in the world. I had a, I wrote a 2000 word tirade on this and people really kept liking my post because they agree. Christians are dumb. We, we share untrue and unverifiable things. And this is why I think church text should, um, stand up for reason and for rationality. I think this is kind of a lead from the bottom or lead up scenario because oftentimes church tech volunteers, they're constantly given orders. You know, we're going to do these songs. The volume is too high. We need this kind of background. Uh, please add streaming, add this to the website. They're constantly given stuff. And this this kind of comes the other direction. This is church tech saying, hey, don't post that. Or, hey, congregation or hey, pastor, here's a great place that you can see whether or not something is true or not. It's called Google. Well, and I think, too, or it's, it's leading from the bottom, but it's also just going to the pastor and saying, hey, pastor, if, you, if you've got a topic you want to preach on and you need some context or some background research... I'd love to help you out. You know, so my, my pastor has has Logos Bible software, and he uses that a ton for context. But there's still been times where he's he's emailed me and said, "Hey, what do you know about this?" And I and I dig into it. And I, my pastor's a really smart guy. It's not that he can't find it for himself. It's that he, you know, he's got things to do. And I've told him before, if you need help with the resourcing and whatnot, let me know. So, like two years ago, three years ago, that whole Blood Moon craze broke out. He asked me to look some stuff up. Because you know, he he was looking, he was doing research and he wanted me to do research. He wanted to have both of us on this topic because it was so many folks in our churches one day you know, start building you know bomb shelters and buying canned goods, a bunch of wackadoos. But anyway, um, that's the kind of thing like, that that we need to avail ourselves to do for pastors. Hey, some parishioner asked me about this thing here on the internet. What can you find out about this? Or like again, if the pastor knows, I want to talk about the Ten Commandments. Can you give me some context for you know? Um, the ancient Egyptian society, the the, the Hebrews marched out of, so we can kind of figure out what context these commandments came into. 
And that's where like, you know, the, the church tech resources can say, yeah, I can we'll find you some stuff. And maybe come back with say, hey, pastor, the internet had these things here. We can't verify them, but we did find these commentaries listed very highly. So if you want to purchase these commentaries, they might have more context for you. That kind of stuff. Nothing super intense. You don't need to give them a 10 page thesis on ancient Egyptian culture. But if we can just give our pastors an, a leg up on, on getting his, his research ready for his sermons, I think it'd be a huge, um, huge boost to the, the preaching arm of the church. Yeah, you know, we definitely come into a different age. I remember there was times where, you know, you be hanging out with friends talking about something and someone throws out an interesting fact and everyone's like, wow, really? That's interesting. And maybe someone might have some pushback, probably Jeremy. He has some pushback in the room that kind of maybe puts in a question and people kind of banter about. And then it's kind of just left lying there. Some may believe that's true. Some may be pessimistic that it is but you move on the conversation and that's it but in the last several years when last several years when a question like that comes up someone throws out a fact almost immediately one of us is pulling out our phone and googling it and looking it up and then you know a wikipedia page is read or some other source is read verifying maybe adding more information or maybe they had their facts slightly off and you know that didn't exist 10 and 15 years ago, where in the middle of conversation about talking about something, you might Google it to see, you know, what the tr- what the truth is or to learn more or, you know, to, to discuss it further. You know, things like Google, the information being at our fingertips has, has finally soaked in enough that we're actually using it in conversation. You know, it's enhancing our communication with one another. That's something that didn't that didn't that didn't exist many, many years, years ago. So it's important as Christians, that we be on our toes and, um, uh, you know, not made to look like a fool. Well, I think on top of that, um, oh, and it just fell out of my head. (laughs) Oh, here's here's what it was. Classic example of someone throwing out a stat, whatever. What's the divorce rate in this country, Eric? Do you know? I I have no idea. Every pastor in America, around Valentine's Day usually, throws out, you know, the divorce rate in this country um, was, you know, is... 50% 50% and it's the same for Christians and non-Christians like, and that's an indictment on the church. Um, but actually it's not the divorce rate in the country is actually far lower than that. And it's even lower for, for committed church going Christians. But that was wrongly stated years ago based upon some faulty research. And it keeps getting repeated, and repeated, and repeated. You know, what's the, what's the temperature of the human body? Well, everyone says 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit, but that's a hundred year old statistic based upon fairly limited research in France you know, this guy measured the temperature of, of like, you know, 100 people, average it out, and there you go. We've been using that ever since. Yeah. So, like, those are kind of things that, like, they're stated enough times, it becomes true. I actually, um, on my politics podcast, somebody and I are talking about um, the effect of um, the continual flow of lies from um, from politicians in general, but certain politicians excel at this. And the more often you hear a falsehood, the um, like every time you hear a lie, your brain has to work hard to parse it, break it down, and determine it's false. And so, the more often you hear it, your brain sort of just decides to like subconsciously you you get lazier and lazier, and you stop breaking it down. And eventually, like you know what, that does sound kind of true actually, and you slowly accept the lies. The more often you're told. That's why like, everyone believes Subway was fresh food. We kept telling us it's fresh food. No, the bread's made out of yoga mats. <laughs> Can we Google that? They're really made out of yoga mats. How would you get to that point of being able to say, all right, let's do this. Let's try to research. 
But then knowing that your pastor's already busy and where in the world would I find some of these stories because they're kind of off the wall and how in the world could I try to verify some of the stuff? Because some of the stuff is simply church lore and some of it's local. And so obviously we'd have to do a whole lot more research than just going to Snopes or something like that. That's true. And and maybe it's a thing where it's, it starts slowly over time. You know, I remember uh, years ago um, as a history major, I finally, after a July 4th sermon, told my dad, stop talking about the faith of the founding fathers. They weren't Christians. Okay. Stop doing it. Cause you're, cause I can pull out a thousand quotes about their comments on God that would, would never stand the test. Like, you think farewell, farewell, Rob Bell, farewell, George Washington, farewell, Thomas Jefferson. Stop quoting them as great Christians. They were not. Right, right. Everyone likes to point at the at the famous Christian book of fiction right. as being a history book. Right. right. And so, I, as I um, as I finally explained to him, like, look, they were churchgoers because they had to be. They were probably de- they believed in God in a deistic, like you know, left us alone, or even maybe even the theistic providential sense. But there's no. There's no evangelical born-again style theology here. Stop acting like there is. Don't call Abraham Lincoln a Christian. Abraham Lincoln held seances in the White House. In in journalism school, you are taught about being a gatekeeper, right? You are a gatekeeper between all the quote-unquote news in the world and your readers or listeners or viewers. And you let through that gate only particular things. And when you let it through the gate, you test it, you make sure it's true, you get all the facts aligned, and then you let it out. So that everything that comes out of your your gate is accurate, relevant, true, right? And so when you become a journalist, there is a line of responsibility that is that is put on you that you have to understand, right? Just like, you know, uh, professionalism. And as the internet has made all of us news sources, as Twitter has made us the, the, the latest source for information, we now are, each one of us is a gatekeeper, but none of us have been ingrained or taught or even recognize the importance of being a gatekeeper. And so what Phil is outlining here is, as church techs, you can become gatekeepers for yourself and maybe those around you. Now, you might not be able to go around preaching it or telling it or making something official. Sometimes when a truth is revealed to you, the greatest thing that you can do or the greatest or the only thing that you can do is live prophetically instead of going about spouting and saying this is how we need to be this is how we need to behave you just have to live it out and it is you know it takes a long time for other people to pick up on it but it is the most powerful way people can pick up on it because they're learning it from you so bottom line the, the lowest denominator here is for you to just live it out. So when you're talking with friends, when you're talking with your pastor, these, these sort of things, you need to do this. You need to look it up. You need to get the facts all on your own so you know and you can engage others about what the facts are. And when enough people see, start seeing you do that, they'll start doing it themselves. So you just have to live it out. And that is how we can infect the greatest amount of change. It's slower it takes longer for the change to spread, but once it does spread, it's spread for good, and there's no there, there's no cascading back down. Yeah, and I mean to be clear, like you may not have a pastor who wants to wants your help, you know. <laughs> You know what I'm saying, and you, your pastor may have different ideologies on politics. That might that might be a stumbling block in this issue here. But I don't think we should let politics divide us. I think we should fight for truth in the most objective, three thousand foot view sense. And 
if you're, it, it might be easiest to just, you know, help your parent offer your services. And then if your pastor says something that's egregiously, apparently, obviously, um, you know, unverifiable after the sermon, maybe a day after the sermon, he's going to calm down, let him know, you know, speak rationally, calmly, one-to-one, you know, Christian to Christian about this kind of thing, because that's when people understand that, Hey, what you say up there matters. And I, you know, I've, I've told, I told my, our pastor before on, on the on the politics issue with the uh, founding fathers, I don't want anyone to dismiss anything you say. So if they have any kind of knowledge of history, they know what you just said was not true or out of context or overblown. And so if I'm that person in this backseat and I don't believe in Christianity and I heard that you say all that stuff, I know you're a liar now. Right. How many times though, do you, you know, are you send an email or you forward someone or in passing in conversation, right? Somebody Googles it, they share the information, you see that you're wrong. It doesn't take very many times that you're wrong yourself, that you're either looking it up on your own when you think about it, or you say, I think this is it. You bring it up in conversation. I think that's it. Let's Google it. You know, it it doesn't take very many times for that to happen to yourself personally, (laughs) where you get some pushback and you find out you're wrong and you're doing it yourself. So like you're saying, using the founding father thing as an example, you know, post-sermon, you talk to your pastor, you email them, whatever, however, whatever kind of relationship you have with them. And they've got, you've got a truckload of quotes that cannot be dismissed whatsoever. You know, whether they agree with you or not, the next time they're doing something and they have a tinge of doubt or are unsure, they're going to go straight to the Google and they're going to look it up themselves. So how would you start this? Because my my initial thought is, oh, this is a great idea. Next time I hear my pastor say something wrong, I'm going to go tell him and then we'll get some buy in and then he'll just come and tell me whenever he needs help which will not happen. Right. I think it just I think it just depends on on who you are, who your pastor is and the relationship you two have. If you already have a kind of troubled relationship, maybe you should not offer this service right now. But you know, but at the very least if you say we'll say pastor pastor, if you have any other questions or any kind of issues, you need some like if you need a like for example for example low 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 bar. If you need a video or some sort of like um, example or object for your sermon, let me know. I would love to have my team try to help you find resources to drive your point home. We want to help you. We want to help you be heard by having the microphones turned on, but we also want to help you find things to say and start with that. And then if that works, Hey pastor, if you ever need any help you know, gathering research, so if you want to make a point about ancient Israel or a point about new Testament first century Roman customs, if you need help with some like you know, historical context, let us know. We'd, we'd love to help you find information. Pastor, if you need an anecdote from history or a great quote from a leader of the past about, about God, I'd love to help my team help resource you slowly and slowly become, become a resource to the pastor. You know, and some pastors think that they should, all the sermon work should be on them. They're, they feel unduly burdened that all things should come from between them and God. And that's not how we're meant to work. Ultimately, I think you have to evaluate the situation. You know, if, if whether it be a sermon or friends in conversation, I think just openly and honestly being able to look up the answers. And I think that that, that, that attitude, that culture, that concept will naturally spread by people seeing you do that. Now, in regards to from the pulpit, and here's the thing is, is that I think you also have to understand that pastors are, are shot down or shot out, shot at constantly. And so getting another email of somebody complaining about something that you got off, you know, it might not go well. So maybe you need to take it to a deacon or elder or someone that the pastor trusts that that will 
hear what they have to say. They might not hear it directly from you, but they might hear it from them. You know, See, I would, I, I would, I would not go around the pastor because that, if, as a pastor, that would cheese me off. Okay, well. Because, because, because the deacons, because in the end, the deacon can ask, ask you to resign. So I would. Well, maybe that depends on, maybe that also depends on relationships and church structures. I'm just saying, evaluate the situation because you don't want to be that guy either. Please don't be that guy. Okay. But ultimately when push comes to shove, I think you just need to live it out even at, at, at the lowest level. If even when you're hanging out with your family and you're talking about stuff, being able to look it up, right? Being able to admit when you're wrong or being able to learn more about a concept. And I really, I think it's just a, a culture of learning and a seeking of truth that ultimately, you know, comes from this that then, that then can spread. Not even necessarily like we can, what I'm trying to say is you don't have to agree to becoming the pastor's um, go-to to help sermon prep because, you know, honest, you know, I don't know how many sermon, how many pastors would actually take that up on a regular basis, you know, because, you know, maybe they're cramming for a sermon at the last minute or, you know, all the, all these different things can come up. I think ultimately the goal is to become a culture of truth, being able to willing to look things up and verify and not just, not just like you said, believing it because people have said it over and over and over again. Well, then two, the heart of this is that I think there's two point two points to the core. And the first one's that, and the second one is just, you know, being a resource to the church, you know, like however the pastor of the church needs you to help advance the gospel that's what we're called to do as church techs. We are servants of the messengers. And and I know church techs, okay, I know I know the kind of fabric that we're cut out of. And I just want to warn for those of you that may be more extreme in this than others, don't be a know-it-all. This isn't an opportunity for you to flex your smarts, right? You don't want to shame anybody. You want to keep it low-key. This isn't for credit. You just need to to gracefully and 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 peacefully and carefully and gently present these things right you don't come in mr know-it-all smarty pants please don't be that guy please don't be that guy exactly because you know we are as church techs gifted with analytical thinking and just detail-oriented minds but when we see someone sharing something that's you know patently false or just a urban legend and they're acting like it's true we should say to ourselves there but for the grace of google go i end it there if you want to (laughs) phil phil called the shower right there he's like right here three-pointer nothing but net i I think it's a process and you're gonna hopefully have this passion and somehow you're gonna have to figure out how to continue to have this passion because he's gonna say no and he's gonna say oh yes but then not ask and he's gonna say oh yes and maybe ask for something super small Mm -hmm. and then he's gonna say yes and ask for something that's completely unreasonable and then eventually you'll both find a good communication style and good boundaries. And then you'll get at a good place where you can say, you know what, that is a great idea. And you know so you have to figure out how to manage in all of that, too. I think every part of church tech has been a process, really. I mean, how many churches immediately jumped on having websites? How many churches have jumped on immediately having Facebook pages? It's so like everything else, so every bit of innovation church techs have ever, have ever championed, it's going to be a process. I think you're absolutely right, Jeremy. Send us an email, subscribe, and search for previous episodes of the Church Mag Podcast by visiting Church Mag. You'll find a link on the main menu. Go to churchm.ag. That's churchmag, churchm.ag. And as always, we love iTunes reviews, and be sure to tell your friends about Church Mag. Until next week. The Church Mag Podcast is proudly hosted on buzzsprout.com. <laughs>